raise a spoon to Grandma, who always took all the hungry cousins to McDonald's for McNuggets and the Play Play Slide. Have something sweet in her honor. Come to McDonald's and treat yourself to the Grandma McFlurry today. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. And participate in McDonald's for a limited time. Live from the heartland and the crossroads of America, it's Tony Katz today. Well, it was a very unfortunate uh, abuse of the solemn and serious impeachment authority that we have in the House of Representatives. Uh, there is no evidence that President Biden committed a crime. There is no evidence that President Biden committed an impeachable offense. There is no evidence that President Biden engaged in any wrongdoing. Effectively, what we saw is that the extreme MAGA Republicans in the House were ordered by an organized crime boss, the twice impeached former president of the United States, who has been, we've seen, a living, breathing, one-person crime wave. He basically ordered the extreme MAGA Republicans to launch this illegitimate impeachment inquiry as a political hit on President Joe Biden. That's funny. The guy is a one-man crime wave, but he's never been convicted of anything. You mean I can't look into Joe Biden because you decided there was no evidence, but you can call Trump a one-man crime wave when there's been no convictions, two impeachments, the man stayed in office. Hakeem Jeffries, and I say this with all due respect, you know you come across as a giant jerk, right? I mean, just a world-class, first-rate, full-of-crap jerk. This is your argument? The Republicans did it because Trump told them to? That's, that is just lovely. The Democratic Party moves in total lockstep, nay, goose step, because no one's allowed to step out of line. The only time they're allowed to step out of the line when, of course, is they want to say, I hate Jews. And you, while you give glorious speeches to the pro-Israel side, you don't castigate your fellow Democrats for being bigots. And now I'm supposed to get lectured to by you about what's good and what's decent? Dear Lord, that would be as absolutely insane as crazy town as a letting um, uh, Hunter Biden lecture to me about things being shameless. And in the depths of my addiction, I was extremely irresponsible with my finances. But to suggest that is grounds for an impeachment inquiry is beyond the absurd. It's shameless. There is no evidence to support the allegations that my father was financially involved in my business because it did not happen. Shameless. Says the guy who didn't pay his taxes, but rather spent millions on hookers. Guys, I am not opposed to someone engaging uh, uh, prostitution. I favor legal prostitution, and I know it's a fight and we'll go over it. But you didn't pay your taxes. Instead, you went with the legal prostitution. Oh, well, it's not in this case. Uh, legal. And we're the problem. Even guys like me who hit this on the libertarian side know that you're nuts. Lecturing to us. My gosh. It's it's stunning to witness. Tony Katz. Tony Katz today. 833 got Tony. 833 833- 
468-8669. That's the number. 833-GOT-TONY. Uh, I- I've got more on Border Week. That is coming up. Uh, if you missed my interview with retired Border Chief Chris Clem and with Randy Grimes, former NFL player who has been doing a lot regarding the morale side of the border and uh, the Border Patrol suicide issues that have been taking place. Uh, I've got those stories coming up. But the impeachment inquiry has been formalized. And the only thing I could say is good. I didn't need it. I didn't think it was actually necessary. But that has been formalized is solid. Uh, the, the Republicans felt that if it was a formalized impeachment inquiry, they would be able to uh, better utilize subpoena powers. Right? They would carry more weight. Okay. Well, I'm not going to tell them no. Um, if, if that's the way they, they, they think it'll work, fine by me. Fine by me. Knock yourself out. No problem. The question is, what do they do with that? Because it, it is obvious. It is obvious that this constant push that, that, that you're seeing regarding they have no evidence. Yeah, they got something. They've got enough to move it down the road this far. Now they're going to investigate what they've got. If you were to say to me, this is absolutely empty suit time, that there's no there there, they didn't come with anything, they're just engaged in retribution, I would say to you, well, that would be wrong if that were the case, but that is not the case. Emails, checks, seeing how money has flowed, there's something there. Maybe it's not criminal. Maybe it's nothing more than what it is. Maybe it is just repayment of a loan. But maybe it's not. And I can appreciate statements like those made uh, by Senator Chuck Grassley of Iowa, who has said uh, uh, very clearly... He said that he has, his father was not financially involved in any way with his business. Do you accept that? Uh, I'm going to uh, take the same position I've taken since 2019, that all I can say is there's some indication of maybe some compromise uh, with China particularly, uh, and, but I have no evidence of it, and I'm going to just follow the facts where they are, and the facts haven't taken me point where I can say that the president's guilty of anything. Fine. You see something that doesn't look good. You're going to wait to see what information comes forward. That makes perfect sense. I don't think there's anything wrong with that, especially for a guy in the Senate. The Senate plays a different role. If there's an impeachment, the Senate will hear the trial. They won't decide impeachment. That gets decided in the House of Representatives. But there's something there. This is obvious. There is more here, I would argue, on the conversation of of possible impeachable offenses on Joe Biden than there were on Donald Trump. A phone call to Ukraine that you decided was somehow improper? 
No proof of anything. No proof of anything. And Adam Schiff, the co- the congressman, uh, horrific from Demo- a Democrat from from California. Oh, I've seen the proof. You've seen the proof. What What do you mean you've seen the proof? That's what he said. That's what he told America. He told America that he had proof. He told America that he had the evidence. This, going back to the beginning of March of 2017, sometimes in order to explain these things, you need yourself a a good old-fashioned montage. We're gonna need a montage. Yes, even Rocky had a, a montage. And here it is. Uh, and but, I think but you admit that, it's uh, a circum- all you have right now is a circumstantial case. Uh, actually, no, Chuck. Uh, I, I can tell you that the case is more than that. Uh, and I can't go into the particulars, but there is more than circumstantial evidence now. So, um, again, I think... So you Rick have Clapper, seen direct evidence of collusion? Uh, I don't want to go into specifics, but I will say that there is evidence that is not circumstantial uh, and uh, and is very much worthy of investigation. So you lied. So all somebody has to do is say, look, I can't share with you what I have, but I think it's 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 clearly more than circumstantial. We're going to bring it forward. That's it. That's now the bar by which we measure all other things. So when I hear Representative Ocasio-Cortez, I'm I'm sorry, when I hear Representative Ocasio-Cortez say things like this, Uh, The ranking member laid out what's happening here quite clearly. Republicans do not have a case. And let's also remind everybody that this impeachment inquiry by the Republican Party has already begun in a public forum. They launched an impeachment inquiry without a House floor vote already. And their own witness, the own Republican witness, said that there are, from what he has seen, there are not grounds for an impeachment inquiry or rather frankly impeachment in general uh, of president biden but that has not deterred the republican side from continuing to try to uh, force through a completely groundless and unsubstantiated i won't even call it an investigation i'll just call it a exercise in futility uh, what we've seen that's great you call it an exercise in futility all you want I want to know what 10% to the big guy meant. I don't want anybody getting wrapped up in this leftist talking point of there's no there there. This is all ridiculous. This is, there's nothing here. You don't know that. What we know is that checks got written. We know that Hunter got jobs. 
we know that there were conversations. And every single time these crazy Bidens have the audacity to tell us that Joe Biden had nothing to do with Hunter Biden's business. And Hunter Biden has the, 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 the I don't know, the, the, the emotional incapa- incapability, rational capability to just leave his father's name out of it. For six years, MAGA Republicans, including members of the House committees who are in a closed door session, session right now, have impugned my character, invaded my privacy, attacked my wife, my children, my family, and my friends. They've ridiculed my struggle with addiction, they've belittled my recovery, and they have tried to dehumanize me, all to embarrass and damage my father, who has devoted his entire public life to service. The question is, how much time did he devote to talking to your business interests, which he did. Fake email accounts to cover the tracks. You put him on the phone. We know this. And and, and just for the, the sake of clarity, Hunter Biden, impugning character and invading privacy, I would argue and agree with you that it, that is something we shouldn't want. They've what they've done to Trump and his family is an obscenity. What they did to Sarah Palin was an obscenity. What they will do to whoever the nominee is, whether it's Trump or not, will be an obscenity and you will watch and you know what you'll do? Say nothing. Do not go down a road that your party invented. I think it's wrong. But you also have to accept the fact, Hunter Biden, that you don't get to give lectures about character. We know the drug use was real and addiction is real and you're fighting your way through it. That can't be easy. We also know that you wouldn't recognize your own child. We also know, believe, you left Coke in the White House. You happen to be living at the White House at the time the coke was found in the White House. And the rest of us are supposed to play dumb and wonder how did the baggie of coke get there? Which, by the way, is the next great children's book to show up in your kid's school library that you're not allowed to complain about. You don't get to talk to us about character. You get to show us that you have come far, you get to show us the man that you were versus the man that you are. And so far, with all due respect, because you put yourself out there in public, you haven't shown it. At no moment do I look at you, turn to my children and say, now that's a man trying to redeem himself. No, that's a man who's saying, hey, friends of my dad, Don't forget to buy my artwork, and you'll get yourself a good meeting. You know what happened. I know what happened. We all know what happened. Don't tell us about your decency. 
You keep telling us that your father had nothing to do with your business. We don't believe you. And we've got enough evidence to say maybe something happened. And that's what an inquiry is for. The left does, uh, I think thou doth protest too much. That's it. The left doth protest too much. They're daring this to happen. That's my take. The political left is daring the Republicans to engage in impeachment. I have not come to a conclusion that this is the right move. I've stated I'm 50-50 on it. I continue to say that. But this idea, this lecturing, oh, hell no. No, 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 no. Not getting lectured to by people who lied at every level about Russia, 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 based on a Hillary Clinton lawyer scheme fever dream, including whether Trump was urinating in bed with Russian hookers, which is something I wonder whether or not it came from one of Hunter Biden's journals. Oh, yeah, that happened. What a time. Because that's more likely, by the way, even though I don't think it happened, you got to admit it's more likely. I'm Tony Katz. Raise a spoon to Grandma, who always took all the hungry cousins to McDonald's for McNuggets and the Play Play Slide. Have something sweet in her honor. Come to McDonald's and treat yourself to the Grandma McFlurry today. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. And participate in McDonald's for a limited time. Life is so much more than a diagnosis. It's about sharing time with those you love, hanging with friends who lift you up, and experiencing all those moments that bring you joy. All hits, no skips. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So long live singing to the oldies, jamming out to something new, and everything in between. Did LeBron sit for the national anthem and and I didn't know it? When in the world did this happen? And and why does this keep happening? So his son is playing. His son's at USC, right? The kid who had the heart issue and he's back. Good, good for him, by the way. You don't want that for anybody. Tony Katz. Tony Katz today. What's going on, everybody? Yeah, I guess I guess there's video of it, and the national anthem is is going, and and LeBron sitting. Walks in to the arena while the national anthem is playing, and then sits down while the anthem is playing. Oh, that's messed up. Then again, this is the guy who says that you can't uh, critique China over its treatment of Hong Kongers and you need to educate yourself. By the way, when people use the term you need to educate yourself, uh, I, I, I most, I immediately go to the place that, oh, this person is garbage. The, the expression educate yourself is just the worst. The absolute worst. But talk about not being aware of your surroundings. And it happens. Sometimes you're not aware of your surroundings. But you walk on the court during the national anthem 
which is nutty. You're supposed to stop where you are. You stop where you are. Things don't go along as normal. Now, sometimes there are people doing a job, right? They're, they're, they're members of the, of the, of the, the TV uh, production, or, or they're, they have to cover it, right? They're doing their thing. Leave them be. We accept this. You don't, you don't just keep moving like it's nothing. You show the respect. This goes back to the whole Colin Kaepernick taking the knee. It wasn't about standing up to police brutality. It was about showing the disrespect. I didn't know this had to be any more obvious. It wasn't a bold move. It wasn't a strong move. The world did not get better when when Colin Kaepernick did this. And all LeBron James does is prove himself to be a really a self-involved. Well, you figure out the rest. But it won't affect his position with the Lakers. It won't affect his position in basketball. It won't affect his position with his loyal fan base. They'll think it's just fine. Which I think is an issue. This is Tony Katz today. Raise a spoon to Grandma, who always took all the hungry cousins to McDonald's for McNuggets and the Play Play Slide. Have something sweet in her honor. Come to McDonald's and treat yourself to the Grandma McFlurry today. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. And participate in McDonald's for a limited time. Life is so much more than a diagnosis. It's about sharing time with those you love, hanging with friends who lift you up, and experiencing all those moments that bring you joy. All hits, no skips. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So long live singing to the oldies, jamming out to something new, and everything in between. As we now know, we've seen enough. We can clearly make the declaration that DEI, diversity, equity, and inclusion, is fraud. That it is, in one hand, a hammer to use against people who disagree with you. Uh, it is a claim to be able to claim that they are racist and they are bigoted and that you don't believe in equal opportunity. Uh, it is it is a cudgel used uh, to claim things like white supremacy, a whole host of hateful, bigoted things, never, ever having to prove the point, but rather just utilize DEI to to uh, pass judgment without any rigor of intellectual debate. As a matter of fact, DEI's whole purpose is to prevent debate. In the other hand, it is utilized exactly like that, as a shield. No criticism can come to DEI. Why, that's proof of the bigotry. To criticize diversity, equity, and inclusion, which is not about diversity, is not about making things equitable, and is not inclusive. It is exclusionary as the day is long. It does not allow for a diversity of thought. At all. As a matter of fact, it excoriates the diversity of thought. It shames the diversity of thought. Because somebody might think that this is a bad idea. Well, that's just proof of your bigotry. Used as a shield from anybody who dare ask a question. Tony Katz. Tony Katz today. 833-468-8669. 833-GOT-TONY. You want to defend DEI? Let's go to work. Feel free. Call in 833-GOT-TONY. I will set the record straight. 
Harvard President Claudine Gay has shown us the radicalness of the responses have shown us that there can be no question or conversation. It is just bigotry to say that she is not qualified. But we have seen that she's not qualified because she thinks it's okay for students to chant for genocide at Harvard. Well, that's just gross. She's a plagiarist. Claudine Gay is a plagiarist. And as president of the university, she has thrown students out for plagiarizing. Yet she, in her paltry academic works, and I say paltry not claiming to be an academic with hundreds uh, of published papers, I'm saying that if I wanted to be an academic, I would, at this stage of the game, have to have had hundreds of academic papers published because that's what the real pros do. She's not a real pro. She was never a real pro. She never got the job on being a real pro. She checked boxes so Harvard could say, look, we've got the first black woman as president of Harvard. Aren't we wonderful? You could have been wonderful with a lot of black women. Or Asian women. Oh, that's right. It's Harvard. They would never have had an Asian woman. Or Hispanic. What? What? They've already told Asian students, we've got too many of your kind here. No, no, no. We need we need different kinds of faces. Your, your face. Oh, we got plenty of that. We need these other faces. Thank you. That's what they, that's what they told the Asian students. What are you getting angry at me for? Because I noticed. Ah, oh, that's right. Because I noticed. Of course she got the job as a diversity hire. And that seems to offend. But there's no other way to rationalize the hiring. Now, remember, you and I, we didn't know anything about Dr. Claudine Gay. We did not know anything about the president of Harvard, like we didn't know anything about the president of University of Pennsylvania, the, well, the former president, Liz McGill, nor did we know anything about the president of MIT, Sally Kornbluth. But there they all were in this congressional committee, in front of this congressional committee, and we said, the presidents of all the top universities are women? I think that's a diversity hire. No, I couldn't prove it, but that's what I thought it was, and I left it there. Maybe they're incredibly accomplished. Then we heard how they answered the questions from Representative Elise Stefanik about how they were totally fine with the hunting down of Jews on their campus with screams for genocide. Would that be considered a threat, a violent act? Well, I guess it depends on context. It depends on context. Well, if, if it becomes a physical act, then, it's, then it would be a problem. So chanting for genocide is fine. Actual genocide is where you draw the line. Okay, good to know. Some people have made this a, a conversation about free speech, and I think that is a worthy conversation. I don't believe the issue should be whether or not somebody can engage in a disgusting slogan. From the river to the sea is a disgusting slogan. It is the call to genocide. It is a question of how the university deals with these things on every other level. And why is this slogan different from all other slogans to take a line from Passover? 
Why is from the river to the sea okay, but if I use the wrong pronoun, I get thrown out of school? As a matter of fact, Harvard has mandatory trainings about not using the wrong pronoun. But from the river to the sea, that's fine. I would ask Glenn Greenwald to explain that one to me. Because that is our issue. The issue is the double standard of the language. Though we may, both Glenn Greenwald and I, agree that language possibly should be allowed. But we don't see an equal application of it. So if we don't see an equal application of the First Amendment on college campuses, well, then we should really hold people to account. And if he should have a problem with that, that's not my concern. That's for him to square the circle on. I don't expect him to do it. Nicole Hannah-Jones, the liar and the fraud behind the 1619 Project, I said it and I meant it. America was not founded on keeping slavery. What nonsense. She gets brought to CNN and asked the not-so-tough questions. What do you make of the fact that, this was striking to me, some of the same voices who are your toughest critics are the ones who are Claudine Gay's toughest critics and the loudest voices uh, calling for her ouster. Do you think that these two things are related, this idea of pushing back on diversity and inclusion in higher education and getting the president of Harvard ousted from her position? Oh, absolutely. So they're using um, the guise of of pretending that this is about concern over anti-Semitism, which is, of course, something that all of us should be concerned about. It's really just further their propaganda campaign against, um, you know, racial equity. So when you think about the fact that Harvard, this nation's oldest university, had about a 370-year explicit racial quota of only hiring white men uh, to be the president, um, it's laughable to think that the first ever black woman Um, following that unbroken line of white racial quotas is the one who's unqualified. I mean, this is kind of the beauty of how racism works. If you are black and you don't achieve, if you don't succeed at the highest echelon, it's because you're lazy and you're not smart enough. If you do achieve and you do succeed and you do rise to the top of your profession, it's because you didn't deserve it. So as uh, Toni Morrison said, this is all really a distraction. Uh, Chris Rufo is is not a serious person. Um, He he is a person who has been trying to attack what he calls DEI, but really any efforts to address racial inequality. Um, He has explicitly said that he does propaganda work. um, And the fact that we're all talking about it means that he's being successful. Christopher Rufo is not the problem. Christopher Rufo and those who have been able to put together the side-by-side comparisons of Claudine Gay's purported work and the work she stole it from, that's not the problem. That's not, he's, he is a serious person. Unserious is Nicole Hannah-Jones. You're an unserious person. The whole 1619 Project is a lie and you admit it. There's no basis in history on it. The historian said, no, there's no basis in history on it. Sadly, it gets put into schools. And Christopher Rufo is the problem for noticing that Claudine Gay is a fraud? I've said this before. Allow me to say it again, just for the, for the record. I have met Jewish men and Jewish women who are wonderful. And I have met Jewish men and Jewish women who are jerks. And I have met white men and women Christians who are wonderful and white men and women Christians who are jerks. 
and I have met black men who are fantastic and black men who are jerks, and same with black women. I have met gay men who are wonderful and gay men who are terrible. There are two sides to the bell curves, kitten. Two sides. Not everyone with a religious affiliation or a sexual affiliation or a specific uh, color of skin is always wonderful because it's like you. That's not the way it works. No one went after Claudine Gay for the color of her skin. They went after, if you will, Claudine Gay first because of her despicable statements, and they went after Liz McGill, a white woman. No, no, the whitest woman as well. But with Claudine Gay, we've got this issue of plagiarism. It isn't wrong to notice. It's wrong to think that it's because she's black. She's not qualified. And if you, Nicole Hannah-Jones, were any kind of woman, you would say, my gosh, that's really a problem because Harvard should have the highest standards. And there are so many black women who would absolutely be ready for the job, be prepared for the job, and have the academic record via the academic rigor and didn't lie. She doesn't do that. DEI as the shield. DEI as the shield. Shielding those who quite clearly aren't up to snuff. Now, there's a story about the uh, a diversity manager who used to work at Facebook pleading guilty to stealing $4 million from the company in kickback schemes. Barbara Furlow Smiles served as lead strategist and global head of employee resource groups and diversity engagement at Facebook. Stole the money. She faked business deals in exchange for kickbacks. September, uh, from January of 2017 to September of 2021, she led the DEI programs at Facebook and was responsible for developing and executing, ex- executing DEI initiatives, operations, and engagement programs. She had access to company credit cards, the ability to prove invoices as part of her role of the company, caused Facebook to pay numerous individuals, including friends and relatives, for goods and services never provided to the company. And then those people would give her back the money. Now, she was a con artist. She utilized a job in this world of DEI to be able to then engage the con. Well, con artists exist in all sorts of ways. Bernie Madoff was a con artist. It doesn't mean every Jewish man is a con artist. Barbara Furlow Smiles, who is black, is a con artist. It doesn't mean every black woman is a con artist. That's clearly not what it means. I think people do uh, find it interesting that there she was teaching all the DEI. She was, she was leading the most important mission. I wonder what programs she put in place and how bad they were. And I would like to know how she got the gig. What made her an expert in DEI to get such a job with Facebook? 
it's a great example of nobody should make the claim that because she did this, that everybody who looks like her is a con artist. That would be nutty. And I would say you're a sick, twisted freak for saying so. There is something to be said about the con that is DEI. Something It's a very different subject. It is obvious to all of those playing in the rational minds that nobody's life is better because of it, except for the people who get the jobs. What is it? Is it, um, it was University of Michigan. How much were they spending again? University, Michigan, DEI, payroll. I forgot. Was it 18 million? Yes, this was back in January. This came out. They will spend more than $18 million on their DEI strategy. All their positions, all the salaries. That is a payoff to be able to show, look how good we are. Look how decent we are. Aren't we special? This is... This is, uh, oh my gosh, the most important thing in the world. Thank goodness we're doing this. Look how great you could feel good about sending your kid to University of Michigan. Oh yeah, we had to up the tuition. After all, $18 million for everybody in the DEI department. When I refer to the fact that DEI is, is, this, is this game being played, that DEI is, 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 is a con. I mean every word of it. I have stated that businesses will get rid of it within five years, and some of them have. The governor of Oklahoma, Kevin Stitt, signing an executive order just yesterday that would require state agencies and institutions of higher education to initiate a review of diversity, equity, inclusion positions, departments, activities, procedures, and programs to, quote, eliminate and dismiss what the order calls non-critical personnel. Well, I would argue that's all of them. Because DEI is only critical in implementing bigotry, supporting bigotry, and preventing others from questioning the bigotry that is involved. And it is bigoted to say that Claudine Gay did nothing wrong when she did and to attack others for questioning her while she had the audacity to throw students out of Harvard for doing what she did. And to support that and to support her and to to make the claim that to question Claudine Gay is to be complicit in white supremacy, everything you would expect from Nicole Hannah-Jones, because if there's anybody who has proven the con works, it's the creator of the 1619 Project lie. I'm Tony Katz. Kid Rock is going to drink Bud Light again. They got the message. Oh, okay. Here's the message I got. You haven't learned what a boycott is. They haven't forgiven... They haven't begged for forgiveness, and you're giving it to them. Sorry, kid. Big mistake. I'm Tony Katz. 
raise a spoon to Grandma, who always took all the hungry cousins to McDonald's for McNuggets and the Play Play Slide. Have something sweet in her honor. Come to McDonald's and treat yourself to the Grandma McFlurry today. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. And participate in McDonald's for a limited time. Life is so much more than a diagnosis. It's about sharing time with those you love, hanging with friends who lift you up, and experiencing all those moments that bring you joy. All hits, no skips. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So long live singing to the oldies, jamming out to something new, and everything in between. Live from the heartland and the crossroads of America, it's Tony Katz today. Politics should never be one's religion. Religion should be one's religion. Religion has a place. Religion matters. I, I think that in, in all cases, when it comes to organized religion, I personally have issues, uh, even with, with my own Judaism. And, and it, is, it, it is my confrontation. Uh, it's very possible that you have issues too. It's possible you have no issues whatsoever, or you've worked through your issues. You've come to some kind of peace, or or you are fully in, engaged and 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 fully and truly a believer. And, and to this, I I offer you no ill will whatsoever. I honestly discuss the fact that I I know I'm Jewish. I know that of of all of my research, this is where I feel at home. This is where I feel comfortable, and I still have issues. And I work through them constantly. And one of the biggest issues I've had over the last 10 years, maybe even longer, is that the politics got so intertwined with the, with the religion that it was no longer a, a, a place of, of refuge. It was no longer a place of joy or of warmth. It was an awful experience. Tony Katz. Tony Katz today. It's good to be with you. 833-468-8669, 833-GOT-TONY. Find everything at TonyCats.com. Religion is religion, and politics is politics. Too much of what we have in today's world, in America, is that the politics have become the religion, that it is a, an abandonment of, of your religion for this ideology and that is what moves. That is what 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 people uh, put the put their faith in and and their existence in. And man, I don't, I do not know how one uh, engages their own soul that way. How could you? I engage politics as a way of being able to live a better life, create a better nation, create better futures. It is not my religion. It is a system by which one can go about leading their life with the least amount of government interference, which is what I favor. I favor small, functioning government. Small, rational government. Small, effective government. Not no government. I'm a liberty guy, not a, not a freedom guy. Those things being different, although very, very closely uh, knit, and I favor liberty. And I think the Liberty Society creates the most opportunity for the most amount of people to engage the most amount of freedom. Absolutely. I'll defend it. I'll debate it. I'll, I'll do the whole thing. But it's not religion. Religion's something different. I, 
I, I, I watch these people as you do. And this was for forever a, a, a thing of the political left where the politics were their religion. And the people, the politicians, were their religious icons. And it was a fealty that was quite literally disgusting to watch. Disgusting and despicable and reprehensible and, and in my view, completely un-American and, and as radical as anything I could think of. I have for a while now been discussing my issues when I see this on the political right. And certainly uh, I've discussed this when uh, you'll see somebody who says something you like and the next thing you know, oh, log them and glorify them. They're a great conservative icon. Dave Chappelle is not a great conservative icon. He engaged some conversations about free speech that you like. Good. That's terrific. He also thinks that Colin Kaepernick is a hero. So, you know, maybe not. And then whatever conversation he had on stage regarding uh, Israel and, and Hamas, there are things that he says that you agree with and things that he says that you disagree with. But it would take a body of work to be able to show you whether somebody historically has these, these value systems that you can appreciate and then you want to learn from them and, and things like that. But we'll take somebody, we'll take like, we'll take kids. Oh, they said something good. Oh, put them on stage at CPAC or what? That's, that's weird. That's totally, totally weird. And it's why when it comes, for example, to, to Donald Trump, I am not down with idol worship. The idea that Trump is the only one who can save us from ourselves is a madness proposition. My argument has been, when it comes to 2016, I voted for Trump. Trump was a much better choice than Hillary. The odds were that you could get more with Trump than Hillary. The odds played in everybody's favor, and it turned out pretty dang well. He happened to govern as a conservative because that's where he was getting his information from. And in terms of policy, well, I didn't agree with everything, so I'm not a tariffs guy, for example, the, the, there was a result that showed value and America was better off for it. But what I watch now, when people tell me Trump is the only guy, oh no, only Trump can do it. No, what we should be talking about are the lessons learned from Trump of which there are many and they are important and they should be learned and they should be part of the fabric of the Republican party. The lessons learned on how to fight, the importance of fighting, the importance of pushing back, George Bush never pushed back. He was wrong. He has, uh, to some degree, in, in, in tacit uh, statements, uh, uh, admitted uh, that, that he was wrong to not push back on the abuse he was taking from the press. You cannot allow these people to abuse you because the press has proven that they are idol worshipers. The New York Times, the Washington Post, and MSNBC, and CNN, idol worshipers. This is not debate. Only to move narrative... Narrative, narrative to the purpose of their political agenda and not engage a conversation of the facts. As a matter of fact, avoid facts when necessary. And if the facts are too inconvenient, call the people discussing the facts racists and bigots. We've seen it a million times that there is no interest in actual um, journalism. If there was an actress and, and, or, or, 
or, or an interest in actual journalism, wouldn't they note that Claudine Gay, the president of Harvard University, clearly lied and plagiarized on her academic papers and has no business being the president of Harvard University? She's a liar and a fraud, as I was discussing. But ideologically, they must be connected to DEI and all these other things to move an agenda forward, to move a narrative forward. So why in the world would they look at Claudine Gay? Better to look at everybody else talking about her and say, you see, racism is alive and well. That is what happens when you're an idol worshiper. You do not engage honestly and you lose your soul. This brings us to Laura Loomer. Some of you are familiar with the name, some of you not. Um, I, I think she started her career as a, a journalist and then slowly but surely worked herself off the rails. And I, she, she handcuffed herself to the, to the Twitter building when it was still uh, Twitter. And some things she was having a conversation about free speech. And some things she was just well out in left field. The presentation does matter. Well, then she ran for Congress. That did not go well. And then she became all about Trump all the time. All Trump all the time in a way that is, well, it it comes to this video. This interview she's doing on something that looks like North North American TV. I I never heard of it. I want you to hear it. Because it got uh, pushed out by Donald Trump on Truth Social. Thank you, Laura. I want you to hear this. I want you to hear what she says about Trump and this, to, and then my conversation with you about the idea of people who take their politics as religion. Listen. I have to ask you, Laura, you're, you're single, correct? Yeah. So how intimidating are you for a fellow to ask, to have ask you out? Well, <laughs> it's, it's, it's not like I'm vicious in that sense, but a lot of people just can't handle my lifestyle and I'm very busy. Just, you know, I'll tell you a funny story. I dated somebody one time and uh, they thought that I was, um, you know, too focused on Trump. And they said that I gave, I gave my activism in support of President Trump more attention than I gave them. And it's like, yeah, you're, that's right, because Trump is more important than you. Trump is going to save our country. And so you need to understand that President Trump is more important than you. And if you think that you're more important than President Trump, then you have some kind of like delusional personality disorder. Have to so take that was the seat. end of that relationship. But that's President right. Trump's my number one priority right now. <laughs> and, and so he should be. Yeah. Now, if Trump is your number one priority... Okay, but if you're in a relationship with somebody and you tell them, sorry, you don't count, this guy counts, well, first, you shouldn't be in the relationship at all. Secondly, that's not okay if I'm being asked. You can do it. You know, I started with okay, but can we discuss the fact that that's not a way to live a life? I want a conservative value system to win out. I have said, whoever the nominee is, I'm voting. If Trump's the nominee, I'm voting. If Ron DeSantis is the nominee, I'm voting. If Nikki Haley is the nominee, I'm going to hold my nose. Because Nikki Haley is still better than Joe Biden, but Nikki Haley has a lot to answer for, damn it. 
And I'll, I'll, you want to talk about disappointed? This, this, oh, I don't care about the Boeing stuff. That's all Vivek Ramaswamy talk. But this, this talk about how uh, the law should stay out of whether children can be mutilated regarding transgender surgery. It, it should be about parents. We now allow parents to abuse their children and sit by and go, oh, well, that's nutty. That is a, a horrific position. You don't believe in, 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 in free uh, speech. Everyone's got to put their name next to what they say on the Internet. You said it. You said it exactly like that, uh, Ambassador Haley. Wrong. She was at an event. Do I have this audio? She was at an event. Um, was it, I, I saw the clip yesterday, but it might not have been yesterday, where um, somebody uh, said to her, uh, you, you know, sometimes the things uh, that you say, uh, you sound like a Democrat. Sorry. And she just kind of... Kind of smiles like, oh, jeepers. That's not what I want to hear. Well, then maybe you shouldn't say things that make it sound like a Democrat. You did this to you. That's all I'm saying. But I can't have a relationship with someone because Trump is more important. I don't think this is a conversation of, hey, I'm focused on my business right now. This is a conversation of, this is my religion. That's ah, not healthy. That is, that is not, not, not healthy. That is something I, I couldn't do enough to, to share with you that that should be avoided. I think that one should have an understanding of their politics. And one should uh, never be afraid to be supportive of their candidates or their point of view. But I will sacrifice relationships and my own life in order to support this one guy. Notice she doesn't say beating Biden. Notice she doesn't say engaging uh, uh, a, a, a better society. Trump, Trump's going to save this country. You need to have the fight in you. I agree. But policies are what are necessary policies the, the 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 groundwork the framework not anger not retribution but policies now sometimes the policies in and of themselves are the retribution i'm telling you this is not the kind of of thing i want to see for people on the political right this is this is the stuff the left has been doing for years and now it's on the right I'm sorry, I don't think this is a good sign. I think this is indicative of the problem. That people have gone from being policy-focused to the idol-worshipper retribution-focused. And I don't think that creates a better society. I understand that they're angry. I am too. And I understand that the left needs to learn that they can't be this abusive on the daily and expect nothing in, in response. But the political right has to be about ideas and then sharing how those ideas make things better. And yes, good messengers to the ideas. Can't be about, there's only one person. We did that too long with Reagan. We're making the same mistake if we do that with Trump. And Laura Loomer, um, yeah, I don't see her getting into a relationship anytime soon with attitude like that. 
This is Tony Katz today. Raise a spoon to Grandma, who always took all the hungry cousins to McDonald's for McNuggets and the Play Play Slide. Have something sweet in her honor. Come to McDonald's and treat yourself to the Grandma McFlurry today. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. And participate in McDonald's for a limited time. Life is so much more than a diagnosis. It's about sharing time with those you love, hanging with friends who lift you up, and experiencing all those moments that bring you joy. All hits, no skips. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So long live singing to the oldies, jamming out to something new, and everything in between. So the Federal Reserve is going to hold. No rate increases, and then they signal three possible rate decreases in 2024, and Wall Street goes absolutely, positively bananas with joy. They are out of their minds, just thrilled and overjoyed and screaming. Yes, 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 yes. And some of it was a little more intense than that. Yes! 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 And the market goes up 500 points yesterday, and it went up again uh, uh, earlier. uh, It was up today. They haven't seen proof that rates are going to come down. They just had to hear it. Look, I want it. I just don't know if I believe it. Tony Katz. Tony Katz today. What's going on, everybody? I am not a downer. Stop it. Man, I'm telling you, so little makes sense. So little makes sense. The European Central Bank, where, you know, there there is already recession in Europe, so they never got the soft landing that people like Secretary of the Treasury Janet Yellen are, are predicting, like, like she's right. Um, they held rates, but they've also said we're not discussing lowering rates anytime soon. We're not getting into that conversation. No, 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 no. They are keeping the central bank rate there in Europe at 4%. That's where they're keeping it. And they are not making any type of of announcement that um, they are looking at lowering rates. She was asked, so should we lower our guard? We ask ourselves that question. No, we should absolutely not lower our guard. I think that's what people read into Jerome Powell saying that they're penciling in three rate cuts in 2024. And if those were quarter point cuts, it would bring it down, you know, three quarters of a point, three quarters of a percent. That would be seen as just glorious uh, for for banks in terms of lending, uh, mortgages, uh, et cetera. That's, That's true. But until it's done, nothing's done. And Jerome Powell has been the one to pour the water on Wall Street and say, guys, what are you you even talking about? Right now, we're beneficiaries from a lack of spending from D.C. because Republicans are still holding the line in the House. If these Democrats were able to spend the way they wanted to spend, we'd still be raising interest rates. And there's nothing that states that there won't be a recession. 
there's a whole conversation that there are multiple states within the United States that are already in recession, but that's not really the way we, we, we do the figuring. We see companies like Etsy dropping uh, force. Uh, GM's Cruise, um, uh, which is a uh, part of, of, of General Motors, of course, laying off 900. We're not talking about like the, the, the makers of a, of a specific vehicle. It's just, it, it's this robot taxi uh, uh, a fleet. 900 people being laid off, 24% of the workforce. It is a robo-taxi startup. Did I or did I not say just the other day that all this automation freaking me out? The layoffs are happening still adjusting to the new economic future. So here I've got Wall Street screaming and yelling and just overjoyed, but I have the reality of Main Street. And these two things are not meshing. So good, rates are gonna hold. And wouldn't it be nice if, if, if indeed rates did go down in 2024? I won't complain, I'll cheer it, but I'll believe it when I see it. I'm Tony Katz, and this is Tony Katz Today. Raise a spoon to Grandma, who always took all the hungry cousins to McDonald's for McNuggets and the Play Play Slide. Have something sweet in her honor. Come to McDonald's and treat yourself to the Grandma McFlurry today. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. And participate in McDonald's for a limited time. Life is so much more than a diagnosis. It's about sharing time with those you love. Hanging with friends who lift you up and experiencing all those moments that bring you joy. All hits, no skips. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So long live singing to the oldies, jamming out to something new, and everything in between. As we've been discussing, the border is the biggest story in America. And of course, we're seeing massive surges in places you don't normally see them. Uh, the, the places people are coming across the border, legally and illegally, if you will, checkpoints and, and, and non-checkpoints, are places that are easier to traverse. That's why you see more movement in Brownsville, McAllen, places like that, than you see in, in spots of Arizona and New Mexico. It's harder to travel to those areas. It's much more land to cover. Tony Katz. Tony Katz today. You just have to look at a map to be able to see that reality. But we're seeing more and more of these surges and thousands of people getting on trains and other things making their way to the United States. What we're seeing as ahead of the holidays is massive. And for everything going on with, with the terrorists, Hamas attacking Israel, what we're seeing with the NDAA here in, in America passing the Senate, we'll see what happens with the House the possibility of impeachment of Joe Biden, the the economic questions as we're seeing the markets go up, the possibility of rates going down. These are all big stories. But I refuse to allow anything to take my eye off the prize, which is the southern border is the biggest story in America. The southern border is where the most danger is coming from. The southern border is not properly taken care of, and we do not have the policies in place, not policy, Right, The people screaming for we need comprehensive immigration reform. That doesn't mean anything. What means something 
is actual policies to handle all the pieces. And all the pieces involve border patrol and their well-being, the amount of people you need to actually do the job, that they can do the job that they were trained to do, not engage these other humanitarian efforts, and recognize the toll that it's taking on them. So as we cover Border Week, presented by Americans for Prosperity, americansforprosperity.org, I spoke with Randy Grimes, former center for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, who has had uh, a whole history of dealing with, with addiction due to, to pain medication from his playing days, has written a book about it called Off Center, and after spending some time at the border, learned that some of these, some of these Border Patrol agents are dealing with the same kinds of issues mentally, about, about, about being depressed, the morale being low, because they can't do their job. And he actually started a, a group, uh, uh, Sports Legends Helping uh, Border Heroes, and, and, and wanting to bring attention uh, to this. So I spoke with Randy Grimes, uh, formerly of the Tampa Bay uh, Buccaneers, uh, about how he got involved with working with those on the border and wanting to help those border agents. You had uh, certainly an interesting career, 10 years at center for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. And it's, it's almost from, from that, that you got involved with what Americans for Prosperity does regarding the border and these border trips, because you got, if I have it right, you got invited at the behest of Chief Clem, who is the border sector chief for the Yuma sector, because there had been a rash of suicides and a morale issue going on at the border. And you know something about this, having had your own uh, struggle, if not continued struggle, uh, with, with, with an opioid addiction. Uh, what happened when Chief Clem gave you a call? Well, you know, and, and it, believe me, I was already a supporter of the Border Patrol. And uh, I, I shared in their frustration just by the news reports and different things that I was hearing. And to get a call from him uh, and, and, and to, to hear directly from him that, you know, morale was low. These guys didn't think anybody were, were supporting them. Uh, you know, I was worried about what they were taking home to their families and what it was doing to their mental health. And uh, I just saw it as a great opportunity to go out and, you know, share my struggles with them and, and give them some hope. First of all, that we do support them. You know, there's a lot of people out there that supports what they're doing and what they're trying to do and what they can't do and all that. But also that I wanted to let them know that it's okay to not be okay, but you got to ask for help, you know, and I knew they were going through struggles. Uh, I, I knew that, that, um, uh, about the suicides and all that. And uh, I just wanted to be a part of it and offer my assistance in, in, in whatever capacity that might be, you know? So, and you had your, your story, you know, 10 years in the NFL, uh, the battles uh, on the field, the pain, the pills to deal with the pain. And that led to you for an addiction. It's something that you write about in your book off center, uh, which is available at Amazon, wherever fine books are sold, I assume. Uh, and, and so was, was the, was the topic relatable to them? Did they see in you somebody who understood the kind of fight and morale issues that they're having? I think so. I think uh, the fact that uh, I'd been to those deep, dark places that depression takes you, uh, not, not that uh, any of them were struggling with substance abuse, but you never know. 
You know, sometimes, you know, we as we as a nation are, 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 are quick to self-medicate a lot of our problems. And I wanted to jump on that in case that was happening anywhere. But I just wanted to share, you know, what it was like to not have the uniform anymore. And, uh, you know, I call it transitional trauma. And, uh, you know, uh, those guys were going through so much at the time and still are. Uh, I just thought that my my journey would be relevant and and also that of my wife, you know, that what she put up with and the boundaries that she had to set. And, uh, you know, it it was a success. The guys really related to it. They loved it. Uh, we, we've been back several different times and uh, it just resonates with them. So when, when you are talking to Randy Grimes, former uh, football player with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, uh, now uh, counsels of people regarding uh, addiction, the, the name of your, your group, sir? Uh, it's Borders, Border uh, Legends. I'm sorry. Sports Legends Supporting Border Heroes. Sports legends supporting border heroes. Right. So it's this is where you've kind of put your work because you went down to the border, you saw what was happening, and for you, was that like, okay, I'm here to help them, but I just discovered that this is a bigger issue than I ever imagined? Well, you, you, you just don't know until you see it with your own eyes. You know, you see it on the news. You see all the people lined up. You see the guys working hard. You, you, you hear about them being pulled out of the field and into the office. But until you see it firsthand, you just don't realize what a massive scale is going on down there as far as people and 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 logistics and everything and it just it blew my mind you know really it still blows my mind every time i go to the border i see something different that these guys are going through and it just it it amazes me that they can pull that off day in and day out but it, it, the the subject that uh, if if you ask people uh, and, and you go over it with people as I do on, on radio. I've only done one border visit. You've done, I think, uh, six or seven. You're about to do, I think, think you're eighth. Um, right. it, while the, the subject of sex trafficking comes up very often, the idea of children coming up by themselves, it is the fentanyl conversation. And it's the idea that fentanyl is coming through the legal ports of entry as often gets discussed. But that doesn't mean it's coming through illegally. Uh, your research, as you've been uh, talking to these uh, Border Patrol uh, agents, is that how bad is the problem? I don't think we really know. I think I think you know so much is getting through. I mean, we're in the middle of an epidemic that is is taking an entire generation of kids away from us right now, right before our eyes, and we cannot stop it. There's so much fentanyl coming in, and it's you know fentanyl is a one and done thing. You know, you only get one chance at it. And uh, if, if, if you get the wrong thing, then that's it. Um, you know, I always carry around tons and tons of Narcan. I've got probably 15 or 20 in my bag at all times because you just never know when you're going to roll up on somebody who has accidentally taken that, that uh, what they thought was a Percocet or that what they thought was a Xanax. Or, have you ever used Narcan? Have you ever actually seen oh, it? Oh, absolutely. Yes, I have. Yeah, it's a, it's a life-saving drug. And with fentanyl, it sometimes it takes, you know, whereas with heroin, it used to only take one or two. 
uh, Narcans to get somebody back. And with fentanyl, you know, you never know. It could take four, five, six. You just never know. I mean, it's such a dangerous drug and it's just so cheap and so readily available. And it's everywhere. You know, it's everywhere. We asked this question of, of the policy people talking to Randy Grimes, former uh, center with the Tampa Bay uh, Buccaneers, now working uh, with uh, Border Patrol to uh, help them and bolster them in their efforts and, and their work. Um, it, it, it seems radical that as a nation, we haven't come together to say, OK, on this, if anything else on the border, on this subject, we can we can stop. Uh, the fentanyl coming in to the country, whether it's about who's coming across illegally, whether it's about changing those policies, changing those procedures, whether it's about issues with China, whatever the case may be. But it hasn't happened yet. Have you ever spoken to lawmakers and asked, what's the problem here? Why can't we get this done? It's so hard to get their ear on that because they don't want to admit that there's a problem. And, and you know, it's like it's almost like the, the cartels don't even really push the drugs anymore because they're so easily to get, so easy to get them into the country and get them into the hands of the people that they need to, that they focus all their attention on the human smuggling. Now, they're making more money in the human smuggling part of this. But the fentanyl is the one that's killing, uh, killing our, uh, our, our young generation. And, and uh, that's what we have to get a hold on. And, you know, it's, there's, there's no telling how much of that stuff is already out there in the country. We already know uh, the overdose deaths is going to be a sky high number this year. And it's going, to, it's going to probably be a number that's been deflated when, in fact, it's going to be closer probably to uh, 200,000 people. I, I, when, when I was in the border, I was in McAllen, uh, and, and it was the first time that I heard that the smuggling operations of people is more profitable to the cartels than uh, the, the, the fentanyl. You just brought that up a, a, as well. Is, th is there data on, on this, or is this the, the same way I get it, and I trust it, don't get me wrong, the anecdotal from Border Patrol that say you will not believe what is going on? Uh, you know, I don't know about the data, but, you know, based on what the Border Patrol sees and what they hear, word of mouth and all that, that's where I get my information. And I have to believe that these guys know what they're talking about. And really, it makes sense. You know, it's so much easier just to... To, to, to fill a van full of people, run them up to the border, make sure they get through the fence, and then it is to worry about camouflaging somebody up, trying to get them into an area where there aren't any border patrol, uh, you know, making sure they get to the next contact in the States. Um, the, the risk reward is just so much greater with, uh, with uh, human smuggling. So a sports legend supporting border heroes. How did this organization come uh, into existence? I think it came into existence with that first meeting with uh, with Chief Clem out in Yuma. You know, we didn't know at the time what we were going to do with it. We just knew we wanted to go out and support these guys in green, get men and women in green. And uh, we it just kind of evolved from there that, you know, we needed to start going to all the sectors. We needed to get in front of as many of these guys as, and girls as we can and let them know that we support them, that what they're doing is 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 awesome. And um 
that they're not alone out there. And, and of course, my message to them all was that it's okay to not be okay, but you got to raise your hand and ask for help because there is help available for these people, you know. Uh, now, in, in the organization, I, I know there, there's you, of course. Can you name any other people who have joined in, heard what you're doing, said, hey, how can I be a be of service? Well, we've got some great people. Dan Pastorini, Mike Barber. We've got Brian Erlocker, Nick Lowry. Uh, we've got a whole host of people. Uh, Jason Starkey, um, a whole host of, of, of former players who who support this. Uh, uh, my son-in-law was a right-handed pitcher with the Washington Nationals, Garrett Mock. He's, uh, he's, he's a supporter. He's going with us as well. Uh, we've just got a whole... A group of great guys that's growing all the time. The more we get the word out, the more guys want to be involved with it. And uh, I'm just, I'm really proud of, of what we've been able to pull together in a, sh- in a short time. My thanks to Randy Grimes uh, from the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. The book Off Center, you can get that at Amazon.com, wherever fine books are sold. Multiple pieces at play when we talk about the border. And all of it matters. And it does matter that we've got these Border Patrol agents that aren't able to do the job they were trained to do and asked to do because they're busy doing another job because the system is overwhelmed and Congress isn't acting to make it easier on them to do the job that they're assigned to do. They are being, they're being worked in a way that they're not trained for. And the demands on them during this work are insane. We're not treating them well, so the morale is low, so therefore more issues occur. And very much so, in, in, in my view, it, it seems purposeful to, to the concepts of deflation to be able to allow more people to cross with impunity. This is no way to run a country, no way to run a border, and it's why the border is the biggest issue in America. Can't say it enough. This is Tony Katz today. Raise a spoon to Grandma, who always took all the hungry cousins to McDonald's for McNuggets and the Play Play Slide. Have something sweet in her honor. Come to McDonald's and treat yourself to the Grandma McFlurry today. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. And participate in McDonald's for a limited time. Life is so much more than a diagnosis. It's about sharing time with those you love, hanging with friends who lift you up, and experiencing all those moments that bring you joy. All hits, no skips. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So long live singing to the oldies, jamming out to something new, and everything in between. If you're in central Indiana this weekend, Saturday, Good times. We're taking my Eat, Drink, Smoke show, Scar Bourbon, a radio show. It's heard all across the country. Bring it on the road here in Indiana to Brownsburg, a place called Premier Arms. Tony Katz, Tony Katz today. So Eat, Drink, Smoke at Premier Arms. Fantastic. It's a gun shop. It's a jewelry store. It does a little bit of everything. It's super cool. And we're doing the show live there from 3 to 5 p.m. on Saturday. December 16th at Premier Arms and Hotel Tango Distillery is going to be there. We're going to be doing samples of bourbon and rye, everything that they've got 
We're gonna have jewelry uh, where ten percent of your of, of your purchase price will go to helping veterans and families. HVAF, the, this organization here in Central Indiana. We're gonna have some some uh, raffle uh, opportunities. Food will be there. Uh, Greeks Pizzeria, which I I do some work with. Wonderful people. Uh, we'll be getting pizzas from them. It's just gonna be a fantastic afternoon. You get to shop local. You get to help veterans. You get some great deals. You get to learn a lot about bourbon. You can learn about firearms. Learn about jewelry. Learn about cigars. Have a good time. Bring the whole family, husbands and wives, girlfriends, boyfriends, grandmas, grandpas, abuelas, everybody. Head on down. I, I hope to see you there. So 3754 South Green Street. That's where Premier Arms is. PremierArms.com. 3754 South Green Street. 3 p.m. Saturday, December 16th with Hotel Tango Distillery, with HVAF, helping veterans and families. Pizza from Greek's Pizzeria. And copies of my book, Let's Go Bourbon and Let's Go Barbecue, signed and available for Christmas. It's going to be terrific. Premier Arms, Brownsburg, a live eat, drink, smoker. He'll be smoking cigars. Hope to see you there. Get more information at premierarms.com. This is Tony Katz today. Live from the heartland. And the crossroads of America. It's Tony Katz today. Chris Clem was the Border Patrol chief in Yuma, Arizona, the Yuma sector. And through his career, he has seen what has transpired on the border and with Border Patrol and with legislation that has made the job tougher and tougher and tougher and more and more political. Tony Katz, Tony Katz today, continuing Border Week, presented by Americans for Prosperity, americansforprosperity.org. Uh, chief Chris Clem, uh, former uh, Border Patrol uh, chief there of the Yuma sector, spoke to me about the politics involved and how things changed over the years, starting from his days in Border Patrol with the Clinton administration. If you were talking about starting in the Clinton administration, yeah. And working your way through the Biden administration, was it a slow, gradual decline in your view in terms of needs and uh, addressing needs for the border? Or was it uh, fits and starts and highs and lows like your career itself? Yeah. Well, let's uh, let's uh, break it down even further. If you go back to 1994, when they uh, they passed the crime bill, the crime bill that uh, uh, during a State of the Union address, uh, President Clinton at the time, you know, talked about putting five thousand uh, uh, law enforcement on the streets. And that included border guards. That was his language, border guards. And it was based off of uh, then uh, former Congresswoman Barbara Jordan's, you know, uh, big, uh, big push on immigration and illegal immigration reform. And so um, I was hired under that. So that was the first push to say, hey, we need to get illegal immigration under control. And so it was it was people under Clinton. And I was hired under that. Um, we were coming off the heels of uh, Operation Gatekeeper and Hold the Line, where they built the first chain link fences along the border, was the first real big step. Some old Vietnam era landing mat to control this this huge flow of people, and it was mainly at the time, early in my career, Mexican nationals coming uh, coming looking for work and a lot of seasonal immigration that you could trace back for fifty years. People coming in based on seasons. As it progressed, uh, obviously, we had the horrors of 9-11, which brought everybody together to say, hey, we've got to look at this even even greater, greater, like from immigration perspective, visa problems to border security. And uh, uh, George Bush uh, pushed a lot of infrastructure. Uh, it's where we began building a lot more hardened walls and barriers because 
back in the early 2000s, uh, we had a lot of people driving across the border. And so we put a lot of uh, Normandy style vehicle barriers up along the border to prevent that that mode of transportation into the United States. Um, and then under under Obama, uh, we built a lot of wall. Um, it was legacy policies and, and laws and appropriations under Bush. But Obama continued to do that. And let's let's go back in time to the beginning of uh, President Obama's second term in 2012. There was a big push for comprehensive immigration reform. And uh, so the, the the left and the right said, OK, we'll give you that. But you got to give us border security. So if you meet the border security standards, then we will pass something uh, in, in, in regards to reform. And uh, so they did. And we built a lot of wall and we removed a lot of people and we rounded up a lot of criminal aliens across the country. Um, and and things were going in the right direction. And then uh, politics got really involved and people argued over the definition of control. What was control of the border? What did that mean? And uh, and then President Obama, I think he's, that was an infamous cell phone and a pen uh, a conversation and uh, an executive fiat. And I was actually in Washington, D.C. as one of the leads for Customs and Border Protection to execute under President Obama's uh, um, uh, executive orders. And and so, yeah, everybody was making progress. Then we kind of then, then it got pol- political It got political at the latter part of, of the Obama administration. And and as an agent. Now, I was up in Washington, D.C. So you're at the time, so you're in the mix of it. I mean, you can't ignore politics when you're in Washington. But the agents themselves and the agency didn't want to get involved in that. Then comes candidate Trump, and it was about building the wall. And um, and that was a campaign slogan, build the wall. And for us as agents, it was a wall system. It was a wall package. It was so much more than uh, a brick and mortar. It was technology. It was access roads. It was cameras. It was policies that would help us really secure that border because we started seeing that lag at the last few years of of President Obama. While he was pushing it, then he kind of flatlined it. Um, well, when uh, it became President Trump and we implemented all the the requirements that we had, things were things were going great. I mean, the numbers uh, of people that were coming in uh, had had dropped. Uh, we were having a great time as as an agency because we had the tools we needed to do our job. And I would say that it was a kind of the the, the climax of my career was that those few years under President Trump. Now, I, w- I will say this. Um, the policies were effective, but I like to say clunky, but effective. I mean, we we had to start stop a lot of times because things weren't ironed out yet. You know, uh, they were people were so quick to get out there and do something. Um but uh, it made a difference when you had the infrastructure in place, you had the policy in place, you know, and, and the support coming from the White House to say, hey, we're we're knocking this down. We're tired of this. Um, boy, it was a great time to be a border patrol agent. Even, so even let's. Yeah, yeah. Go ahead. Go ahead. Let, let, let's let's go back just for a minute before yeah. we start really digging on the concept of the wall itself. Mm-hmm. The idea that politics got involved in yeah. your view, in the view of other border patrol agents that you uh, spoke with, what were the politics? Yeah. So it was it was, you know. Uh, so the campaign, right, it really kind of got involved. Well, we'll start with the uh, with uh, President Obama uh, when as soon as they uh, that administration started kind of putting the migrants and giving a uh, migrant, those that have been here illegally, kind of a pass or 
well, if they're if they're going to come over here and try to reunite with family, you need to to let them go. Right. And it's like, wait a second. That's not what the law says. We have to prosecute them. We have to process them. There's things we have to do. And they kind of started meddling, if you will, into the day to day operations because they wanted to control that narrative. Then comes along meddling the same as micromanaging. Yeah, I would say that. Right. Because. Look, you know, we, it's a kind of a, a known saying for any of the of the agencies that uh, are based out of D.C. is that three thousand mile screwdriver. You know what what law says and what policy says is what we would operate under there in in the field. But then all of a sudden they reached out with that screwdriver and said, no, 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 you're going to do it this way because, you know, the executive branch has that authority by, you know, by under the Constitution to to execute those things. Well, it would really frustrate us because we knew what was right and wrong, but then like, well, hold on a second. We're going to do it this way. Why? Why are we catching these people and releasing them? Why aren't we detaining them and letting them go through an adjudication process, which is better for everybody? Okay. So they may be detained for uh, a few weeks or months, but they're going to get a decision, you know, and then if the decision is to let them stay, they can continue with the process. If the decision is they have to be removed, then they get removed and they get to the back of the line and try again. Um, so that's that began the latter part of the Obama administration. Then it became campaign candidate Trump. Right. And so he was building the wall. Right. That was his campaign. So now everything associated with candidate Trump wall became Border Patrol. The world was open to a whole new like, what is this agency that he's talking about? Not a lot of people really knew about the Border Patrol and what we did unless you were along the border. And uh and so that was kind of a, a big thing for us. It put us in the limelight. Um, we had kind of been just taking care of business. You know, we're we're a, a different breed of federal agents. You know, we just like to go out there and do our job. We ride horses for a living sometimes, you know. Um, you know, then, of course, some of us like me, you know, we're in the office more times than we were in the field. But, um, uh, yeah, it was it became political. Then it became the. Think about the first few years of the Trump administration. Uh, Once he lost control of the his party, no longer had the House. They were going after him. Everything that he was doing, you know, and became a big thing. Right. And look, I can tell you this. I was the deputy chief of El Paso uh, during the Trump administration, uh, the midway through the administration. And um, and and El Paso was pretty much ground zero for the border crisis that began uh, in 19. I couldn't turn around without tripping over a Democratic congressional delegation coming down to figure out what was going on. I mean, it was it was one or once or twice a week. Like there was dozens of members of Congress wanting to ask every question, turn over every stone to see what was going on. Um, and and that impacts the business flow of the operations for the Border Patrol when agents have to, you know, watch what they're doing because Congress is coming to look and taking pictures. And, you know, it just became so political. It's like, look, look we just want to do our job. We want to well, do, yeah, go ahead, go ahead. One of the things, uh, talking to uh, former Border Patrol Chief uh, Chris Clem, uh, Yuma sector, one of the things that became political right away is the concept of the wall. Never mind the whole Mexico is going yeah. to pay for it. Yeah. But the idea of a wall, we were told you can climb over it, you can dig under it, you can cut through it. Uh, the question for America is, do walls work? And so as a man who has experienced it, saw the construction of it, dealt with it in different sectors, Yuma sector being much different than Rio Grande Valley or El Paso, do walls work? And if so, how? Yes. So walls do work when they're, uh, uh, you know, uh, when we put them where we need them, right? 
Um, there hasn't been an agent uh, that I'm, I've ever met that says, hey, we need a 2,000-mile wall, wall from the Gulf Coast to the Pacific Ocean. We need it where it makes sense. And, and allow me to, uh, to kind of break this down a little bit. The wall, as it's designed based on our requirements, is to deny or impede access into the United States or control and contain access into the United States. There are places where it's right there on the border, and there's places where we have to kind of concede based on river boundaries and things like that. And it's very, very important when we have urban areas along the border, San Diego, El Paso, places in Arizona, where we have determined that the vanishing point for somebody that enters illegally is seconds to minutes. You've ever been to a border town, El Paso, San Diego area, those are great examples where they can jump the fence, cross the river and be in a neighborhood or a high school or an apartment complex in seconds. So that's where you need that wall to slow them down. And when you combine that wall with technology in the form of cameras and sensors to help agents do their job, that's where it really makes sense. So where we have put wall in those areas where we have a, a very short vanishing time, it has made a huge difference. It has given us the tactical advantage to do our job, and it's made areas safer. I mean, you can't refute it when you look at crime results in, in like El Paso, uh, Texas. is one of the most safest cities in America. A lot of it has to do with what we've done at the border. Um, so people yeah. really, when we talk about the wall and as you're discussing it, it isn't about stopping people because they're already in the United States in a lot of these places, especially when you talk about Rio Grande Valley. I've been in McAllen. The wall is, is a mile, a mile and a half inland. And you get, you get completely freaked out when the first time you see yeah. that and you yeah. realize it's not on the border, but you look at the winding nature of the Rio Grande. There's a moment where you could be in Texas, but South of Mexico, right, that's right. the level of winding yes. of, of that sector. But the objective here is to slow people down to apprehensions. That is not something that gets discussed publicly. Why has there been no uh, real push to explain why that is so valuable to people like yourself and those in Border Patrol? Well, I think oftentimes it becomes uh, it, it can be a very emotional and divisive issue um, that can get uh, you know captured by uh, uh, political uh, uh, politicians and or uh, certain uh, media outlets, right? They want to stoke that fire. And so if you tell the truth and say, this is why it's designed, it's there to give us a tactical advantage to help us slow down. So we have a better chance of making an arrest to prevent bad people and bad things from coming in, you know, that then that makes sense, right? But if you if you just say, you know, this, this kind of this false choice of, you know, you either have a wall, or you don't have a wall, they're going to get over there, or it's either going to work or not work. Well, look, it's a combination of things, you know, um, the wall slows them down. When you have the, the people in place and the technology in place, then you can make those arrests. And, and look, if, you, if you've been to those areas of the border where you've seen this 30-foot wall with uh, the last six feet having this anti-climb, look, it's very few people that can physically get over there without assistance. And so when you have the camera and the sensor look in there and you see somebody trying to make that, um, that uh, attempted illegal entry, you can respond and you can make the result. But without that wall, they're, they're going to go and they're going to vanish and they're going to be those gotaways, which we've known we've had a million and a half gotaways in the last three years. So we need to continue to push. The only way we're going to get a better chance at securing this border is to continue what we started. Yeah, you know, we can we can smooth it out a little bit and make some some adjustments. But we need to finish that infrastructure packet that we, pack, uh, packet that we began a few years ago. And um, and when you have you know, a secure border, then it makes sense to expand lawful legal pathways for people to come in the right way. 
because they know the wrong way you're gonna you're not gonna be able to make it as easy. I know? think I think it interesting that you you ranked them. I, I do this often. Um, you have to get this done before you can get to the to the next thing. Is that a position of you personally, Chief Clem, or is that a position of of, of Border Patrol that? Once you do this, then you can get the other things going, but you got to start here. And I think that's where Americans are in, in yeah. great measure. You got to start with securing the border. Yeah. Well, so that's my opinion. Uh, but I will tell you that uh, I'm a border security expert, not an immigration expert. I mean, there there are two different things in my book and, and the Border Patrol's book. We, we're, we have immigration authority. We have to process immigration cases. But our job is to secure the border. I, I you know. What happens to somebody after we are done uh, adjudicating our piece, whether they're released, processed, turned over, removed? That's that's outside. Of, that's immigration. My job is to catch anything and everything that comes in between the ports of entry, or at least my job was. But, yes, uh, Border Patrol agents are going to say, hey, let's secure that border first. But because you can go back to, to historical programs where you've added an easier, more efficient way to bring people in you'll see a, a correlation to a decline in illegal entries because people sometimes just want to come here and work. You can go back to the 50s and 60s on the Bracero program and do that. But back to your point, yes, as Border Patrol agent, and, and in my opinion, we have to start with a secure border. I mean, that's that's it's a foundation, just like when you're building a home. You have to get the foundation right or everything else will crumble. And we've experienced that over the last few years, actually the last several decades, because we will the government's great at building band-aids hey we'll do this we'll do that but get that foundation right secure that border and i think that opens up it takes that piece off the table so then maybe some of our common sense folks can go hey what what does business need what do the communities need what do we need to continue healthy lawful immigration to continue to make america prosperous and grow but if you don't have that foundation of a secure border and that's things are going to crumble because we can we can do all the things we want, uh, you know, militarily, everything around the world. However, there's always going to be threats. So we've got to get that secure. Last thing I'll say on that point, Tony, is, look, everywhere around this country, you have people that live in gated communities. You have locks on your front door. You have locks in your bedroom. If you're fortunate to have a bathroom in your bedroom, you got a lock on that door. But we will argue and we will become divisive and we will name call and finger point if we want to put a lock on our front door and just say, hey, come in the right way. Just come in the right way. Don't come in illegally. That keeps us secure. We just want to know who you are. Don't come in illegally. We will we will make that such a divisive issue. And I like to call it tall fences and wide gates. We need to have a country of tall fences, which is our border security, and then wide gates, which would be the lawful pathways for people to come in the right way. So we know who they are and what your intentions are. And, and that's the way we should be looking at it. And that's my opinion, but that's kind of where I see the success going if, if we can get there. My thanks to former Border Patrol Chief uh, Chris Clem. These conversations will continue, and you can find everything about Border Week presented by Americans for Prosperity, americansforprosperity.org, at tonycats.com. Much more to get to. This is Tony Katz today. You can call me anything or anything you want. Just don't call me yours. The latest polling from Bloomberg Morning Consult? Sure. In Arizona, Trump versus Biden, Trump plus four. Georgia, Trump versus Biden, Trump plus six. Michigan, Trump plus four. Nevada, Trump plus three. North Carolina, Trump plus nine. Pennsylvania, Trump plus two. Wisconsin, Trump plus four. 
it's showing that Trump beats Biden in the head-to-heads. However, the polling, if we look at 2020, when we look at results, didn't skew that way. It skewed more Biden's way. So are the plus fours, the plus threes, and the plus twos enough? Now, I don't think for the the, the Trump supporter, they're going to be concerned about this. And certainly if you're a Biden fan, you're, you are concerned about this. You're saying this is proof that Biden needs to be off the ticket. As if Democrats need any more cajoling or, or you know, proof that Biden simply is not a good candidate. He's not. He is, th- he is seen as weak. He's seen as ineffective. Well, Tony, the economy's doing so much better. The stock market's up and inflation's over. Oh, okay. Sure. No, no, no. Sell that and let's see how it goes to keeping Biden on the ticket. I think Biden stays to the convention. I think if a change is made, it's made at the convention because Democrats will do anything. You've always been right about this. They'll do anything. These are good numbers for Trump. Do you believe them? Ah, different question. This is Tony Katz today. Raise a spoon to Grandma, who always took all the hungry cousins to McDonald's for McNuggets and the Play Play Slide. Have something sweet in her honor. Come to McDonald's and treat yourself to the Grandma McFlurry today. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. And participate in McDonald's for a limited time. Life is so much more than a diagnosis. It's about sharing time with those you love, hanging with friends who lift you up, and experiencing all those moments that bring you joy. All hits, no skips. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So long live singing to the oldies, jamming out to something new, and everything in between. I share with you now the latest and the greatest from the Vice President of the United States, Kamala Harris. <laughs> Tony Katz, Tony Katz today. Good to be with you. I, I, I want to warn you. Um, I have no idea what she's talking about. I have absolutely no idea what it is that Kamala Harris is discussing here. I'm telling you now, I know that she's in Warsaw. It is a, a, a presser with the president of, of, of Poland. This is this is part of a of, of a press conference. I'm trying to figure out why she's even saying anything. Well, which I'm always trying to uh, uh, figure out. Here it is. I give it to you now. You tell me. We all watched the television coverage of just yesterday. That's on top of everything else that we know and don't know yet based on what we've just been able to see. And because we've seen it or not doesn't mean it hasn't happened. But just limited to what we have seen. <laughs> I have no idea. I don't. I, I, uh, I, uh, uh, Loud noises! Exactly. 
I have no clue what it is she's trying to say there. I don't know what we're yelling about! I don't, every single time she thinks she's, she must think that that is an intellectual pursuit. The way she she talks. The way she does that. And the clip is, is from CBS News. I'm telling you, I have no idea what she's saying, what she's referring to at all. I wish I did, because I think that'd be kind of important to bring it to you. No clue. So much so that like I'm, I'm looking it up. And I'm like, wait, is this from 2022? Because I can find a March 10th, 2022 uh, oppressor going on. I could, I could find that. And, and there's the, the president. I think that's what it's from. Why is this now news? Because that's the outfit she's wearing. That's, that's clearly it. So why is this now making the rounds? I don't know. I don't know. It's so weird that it's making the rounds now. This thing is is over a year old. But it just it just plays into the you want to know why the Democrats are going to completely step over her when they replace Joe Biden on the ticket? You you need to know why? Okay, we'll do it again. The television coverage of just yesterday. That's on top of everything else that we know and don't know yet based on what we've just been able to see and because we've seen it or not doesn't mean it hasn't happened. But just limited to what we have seen. No chance. They're going to walk. They're going to step right over her. Oh, so if you see that thing trending, that thing is is over a year old. I have no idea why it's making its way now. Except reminders maybe not even to us to the democratic party that that she's just not capable and then of course there's the ever classic oh dear lord joe biden you didn't just say that did you harris biden administration you have a problem figuring out whether you're for me or trump and you ain't black got hairy legs that turn that 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 turn uh, um, blonde in the sun. We hold these truths to be self-evident. All men and women created by go. You know the you know the thing. Say what? Now this one is also a few years old, but this one is a flashback one that's purposeful. This goes back to 2021, October of 2021, to be precise, when, of course, everyone's talking about the January 6th committee, and these people aren't going to listen to the subpoena, and those people aren't going to listen to the subpoena, and a reporter is asking Joe Biden, what do you think should happen to people who don't listen to a subpoena? congressional subpoenas on the January 6th committee. I hope that the committee goes after them and uh, holds them accountable. Do they be prosecuted by the I, I do, Department? yes. Now, this is interesting because Hunter Biden 
defied a congressional subpoena. Hunter Biden refused to show up, had the press conference in front of the Capitol, did not attend the the hearing where he was subpoenaed. So, based on the words of the vice president of the United... I'm sorry, president of the United States. I forget sometimes that we're living in the now. uh, Should he be prosecuted? And the answer is yes. And clearly, and without question, because the president said so. Now, I don't argue uh, the idea if you want to not go to, you know, pay attention to subpoena. Go ahead. Don't pay attention to subpoena. You got to deal with what comes. Maybe get prosecuted. Maybe you won't. But isn't it amazing how there is no, there's never even a question of whether or not you have a, th- a through line of thought. No, no. This is just what we say. This is just what we say when we're talking about those people over there, those Republicans over there. When we're talking about Democrats, well, it's it's very different because when Democrats are subpoenaed, clearly it's because the Republicans are acting improperly. But when the Democrats subpoena Republicans, it's because they're protecting democracy. You people are twisted. Not you, them. Then there was number three. This was a piece that I grabbed off of X. Of course, you can find me on Twitter X at Tony Katz. Very easy to do. This was Daniel Horowitz, senior editor at the at the Blaze. Uh, he's got uh, the CR podcast. Um, uh, he's he's got a book he's written with Steve Deese called "The Rise of the Fourth Reich: um, Con- Confronting COVID Fascism." with a new Nuremberg trial so this never happens again. I mean, that's a that's a pretty heavy concept right there. But here's what he's got. He has got this data point uh, from the U.S. Bureau of Labor Statistics. Uh, this from St. Louis Fed.org. Civilian labor force with a disability 16 years and, and older. Hold on. I want to make, I want to see if I can get to this right here. Cause I, I, I looked at this. I'm like, that is creepy and frightening. And I have questions and it shows that if you take a look at the numbers at the, at the years and you take a look at those people who are now claiming a disability from 2020 to 2021, right? It, it, it shows the number uh, well under, is that 6,400? Well under 6,400 for the vast majority. And it actually uh, uh, valleys in 2021 under 6,000. And by this time of 2023, it explodes to 8,400. That's thousands of, 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 of persons. Now, what happened between 2021 and 2023? Yeah, COVID vaccines. Now, as Daniel Horowitz explains it, so we had a growth of 2.8 million people with disabilities. So he starts with this this first red line, and uh, and Sarah, make sure we we post this over at TonyCats.com. 
That's, you know, the 2020, 2019, 2020 thing is where COVID began. And the second red line is when um, vaccines, quote unquote, went out. And he says, uh, draw your own conclusions. This is unparalleled at any time in history to have such a precipitous rise in disability over two years. And this chart goes back to 2010. It's a very, very weird chart. And by the way, you're, you're able to find it at Fred, F-R-E-D, um, uh, dot stlouisfed.org. Right, that's where he got it from. And so that's where I share with you. I just wanted to look up the site, make sure I had the site. Like, that's a, that's a fascinating thing to look at. Now, I, I have a series of questions about, well, what are the disabilities? And are the disabilities things that are being claimed or are the disabilities things that are being documented? As someone uh, pointed out, correlation is not causation. Now, I think this is why Daniel Horowitz says, draw your own conclusions. But I don't think one should actually draw their own conclusion. I think one should look at this and say, that's kind of fascinating. What does it mean? And then look to the data to figure out what conclusions come from of it. Come from it. As CBS News reports, 7% of the US population reports long COVID conditions, many of which are disabling. Now, some of some people may not believe it. I'll, allow me for a moment. My father, who is 85, did not get vaccinated. It was, it was a conversation that, that we had. And his argument was, so at the time, it, he was, so he's 85 now, so he was 82, right? He said, Tony, I'm okay here. I'm okay there. If I get this vaccine, this vaccine gives me a problem. I'm never going to forgive myself. To which I said, Dad, you're 82, if you don't want to get vaccinated, don't get vaccinated. Now, that's exactly the same advice. Actually, it's, it's, it's quasi the same advice I gave to people with kids. Vaccinate a nine-year-old? I, I, I can't open my, my eyes wide enough. I can't get more bug-eyed. Like, why would, you, why would you even think of this? And I have friends who got kids vaccinated, and they're still my friends. Uh, we, we, we don't even talk about it. It is, it is just a clear disagreement. I don't understand it. If you were a woman uh, who was in her 20s and thinking of giving birth uh, or having kids in the future, getting vaccinated, I don't, I, 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 don't, I don't understand it. If you were 50, I don't, I, that would probably be the age group, 40s, 50s, where like, well, I'm not having kids. I've got a life ahead of me. You know what? I trust my doctor. I, I'm doing a thing. Like, I get that all too well. Not, we could disagree with it, but I'm talking about if we were to logically look at these things. You're 82. You've already, you already have lived longer than you ever imagined, which is very true in my father's case. Um, and, and don't want to do it. Don't do it. He didn't do it. He got COVID for like a day and a half. Because they had had one of those tests. He wasn't feeling well, and they took the test. I don't even know why they took the test. They took the test, COVID, and then like two days later, it was gone. And then my father got COPD, which is uh, this, this attack, if you will, on the lungs. Man never smoked a day in his life. Not a day in his life. And he's 
Oh, he's miserable with this. Because the guy likes to take a walk. Yeah, he uses a walker, but he likes to be out. He likes to be around people. He doesn't like being alone at all. And it makes it very difficult. He's infuriated by it. But it is very possible that that is a symptom of long COVID. Would the vaccine have stopped it? Not necessarily. Could the vaccine have caused other issues? 100%. There are no solutions, kitten. There are only trade-offs, as Thomas Sowell explains. These numbers are interesting. And yes, long COVID is a thing. But one should want to know what these numbers mean. What are these people presenting with? What are they claiming? Is the claim based on something that is medically documented or is the claim put out there to blame COVID because it gets them a financial opportunity? Of course that can happen. It is, it's not that these numbers should be dismissed. I don't believe in that. I think these numbers should be looked at. People out there for their political purposes will latch on to them and, and then scream them without any, doing any more research or dismiss them without doing any research. I think we should research them. But we should know that they're there. That's fascinating data. I will have it up at TonyCats.com. This is Tony Katz today. Israel has the right to defend itself against Hamas terrorism. It does not have the right to go to war against the Palestinian people and kill thousands of innocent children and women and men. I have asked President Biden to do two things. Number one, not support $10 billion for Netanyahu's right-wing government to continue the horrific military strategy. Number two, to support the United Nations resolution, which would provide a humanitarian ceasefire so that the UN and other aid organizations can provide humanitarian relief that the Palestinian people desperately need. And this is why Bernie Sanders is completely incapable of running anything. First, it's a unity government right now in Israel because everybody in Israel wants to put an end to Hamas terrorism. Secondly, the war ends if Hamas ends. Third, the people get the aid that has already been sent into Gaza. If Hamas was gone, they're stealing the aid. Fourth, $10 billion doesn't go to, to Israel to support the taking out of terrorists, which you call terrorists, but it's okay that we give it to, to who? Vladimir Zelensky, then it's okay. That government's fine, but Netanyahu's isn't. You are incapable, Bernie Sanders, of running any country. You are incapable of running a Ben and Jerry's, also uh, filled with bigots. You're incapable. The same guy the other day who said that a ceasefire is impossible, you have to take out Hamas, but keeps calling for the humanitarian pause and how we should follow the UN. The UN doesn't want Israel to fight back. My gosh. And he makes a video walking through the halls like he's like he's got something to say. This isn't something to say. This is trying to make sure everybody still likes you on the socialist side. Gross. Find everything at TonyCats.com. Tomorrow, everyone, take care. Raise a spoon to Grandma, who always took all the hungry cousins to McDonald's for McNuggets and the Play Play Slide. 
have something sweet in her honor. Come to McDonald's and treat yourself to the Grandma McFlurry today. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. And participate in McDonald's for a limited time.